welcome to episode number 46 of the ETPGT podcast with myself and Anna. Hi Anna. Hello, how are you? I'm not so bad, thank you. How are you? I am good, thank you. I, I'm going to say emotionally hungover today in a good way. It's been, I had a therapy session again yesterday and I think you'll know from doing it, your own course and um what you put up on your stories afterwards it's it's hard but wonderful at the same time mm. how long are your sessions an hour yeah <laughs> I get to about 40 minutes I'm like I don't know if I can do anymore yeah that's a lot that's a lot and it does have a knock-on doesn't it for for days like mm. yeah I had weirdly mine today I got assessed in my own therapy skills today which was obviously a lot but past woo-hoo. um <laughs> never know I had my so I had my assessment but straight after my assessment then I got I was a, a, a talker for someone else to get assessed so then I had my like mine's only half an hour session of therapy but like I think I don't know about you but obviously the more work you do on like the, the inner work the more woke you get right the more easily you tap into how you feel and the more the better your emotional regulation is the better you are able to feel like like that yeah so it doesn't take you long and I don't know if you're the same but when someone's like you know tell me why you're here today you're like okay yeah yeah (laughs) I remember when I first started working with her six months ago the first couple of sessions I was like yeah I'm fine I'm just dealing with this and then like a month in I was like I can't do it anymore (laughs) (laughs) oh can't wait my um my tutor the person who runs the skills class she said to me like one of the very first weeks because I'd been really like in the group sessions I'd be really like positive and chatty and, and I'm obviously I'm like quite open and happy to discuss things and then in my therapy session I'd gone and I said I don't really have much to talk about and I just cried all the way through it and then I came out and I was like yeah I'm great and she said she said it's um she she used like a Buddhist term oh she was talking about how you tap into your higher state of consciousness that's a sign that you're tapping into your higher state of consciousness and I was like I'll take that <laughs> not that an emotional wreck it's that I'm tapping into my higher state of consciousness um so that was very satisfying it is always those ones where you're like I've got nothing to say and then yeah they're the ones that you just find you open up all sorts of stuff yeah and then you're dead you are dead like I, I napped today I never nap I finished college at like two-ish and I napped for like 45 minutes <laughs> and then I ate a lot of ice cream and I was like this is such a therapy hangover of just like, <laughs> like I was mindful about eating my ice cream but I knew I was doing it for comfort I had ice cream and biscoff and it was delicious but I, I knew uh, what I was doing and it was delightful but it really was just like oh my god yeah. that's yeah. a lot yeah can't relate obviously <laughs> <laughs> that's true comfort from food so that's fine um but it does it does tend to last for sure and then I was like right I'm gonna post on social media and I was like I have nothing to say old me would have just word vomited all this stuff out I was like I'll save that for the podcast and I just I can't actually cope with it um but it was really really interesting too because my so the because we were getting assessed the tutor was like observing and providing feedback on like where we're at and things obviously and she said, I was talking about how at the moment I feel very, um, like, I feel like I've got a lot of weight on my shoulders. Like, I feel like I've got a lot of things. And um, I, I said, I wish I just could be, could offload it to some degree. Mm-hmm. And she said, she said, yeah, your need for, your need for masculine energy is what she said. It's like, it's because, it sounds like it's because you are very vulnerable to needing it because you are very emotional with your clients and you're very like you, you put a lot of empathy into your clients and you you work so much that you are therefore at the end of like at, at the end and yourself extremely vulnerable to need and it's so it was so interesting for me to think I never let myself need anyone before but now I'm at the place where I'm like and maybe I need somebody quote-unquote masculine energy to basically because I was like I just feel the need of someone physical to come and just like pick it up and that's how I was describing it she's like yeah it's like you just need that masculine energy because you put yourself in that vulnerable position to come and take that from you I was like so what you're saying is I need a man (laughs) (laughs) god when your therapist is also (laughs) (laughs) 
I know. <laughs> oh, so that's probably why I napped and ate a lot of ice cream because I thought, Paul's, <laughs> I've got to 34 and I never thought I need a man. <laughs> oh, amazing. So that was a lovely outcome from my therapy session today. Um, it is good though. You learn so much about yourself, don't you? Mm. Oh, absolutely. Anyway, moving on. Um, we've got you've got lots of questions I've got a couple of questions come on my clients pull yourselves together and submit me some more questions and the ones that I do have are excellent however but go for it you can start so I'm curious about the behind the scenes shift at ETPHD and I would love if you and Amelia could share some of the details It's not really that behind the scenes anymore, is it really? <laughs> um, but thanks for your curiosity. It's really appreciated. Um, yeah, it's not a huge shift. It's partly actually to do with what I've just been saying. So I obviously, I've always been quite reluctant to take on coaches. Like you were the first and you like, everyone knows, like we, I thought about it for like six months before I even spoke to you about it. But I am... I'm basically at the point where I can't physically take in any more clients and actually I'm reducing my client numbers because I, at no point in my life do I ever want to think want my clients to think they can't email me because I'm too busy or I don't want ever to think I just don't have the time to give enough to this person and so because I'm training now in therapy and running EIQ it just was like my standard I refuse to let my standard drop with clients and that's really what it came down to. So um, I took on Becca. Um, well, obviously, we've got George already. Um, took on Becca and Lynn and Steph and Denai. And they all offer something a bit different, um, but are all very much holistic coaches. And Denai actually has a background in psychology um, and a master's in um, eating disorders. So, and is also a registered nutritionist. So it's just nice to have some new people on the team. And then, of course, Anna, you are now doo, 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 head coach. <laughs> and for me, like, that's an amazing thing for me to be able to, 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 I put, I would put, if I had to, I would put my whole business onto you and be like, I know you could deal with it. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> just find me in a ball on the floor. <laughs> yeah, I groomed you last time. This is all I'm doing right now. Just <laughs> but the point is like I like I'm so lucky that you can that I can I could say to you like can you take this on and you can do it um because you know that masculine energy and all that but um, (laughs) you would and you could and we have such a good relationship where I feel like that that you could do that and also like moving forwards I've I'm making life decisions like I'm either going to go and study and do my master's or I'm thinking about what I need to do in other parts of my life that I want to move forwards with at 34 that I don't put enough time into. So either way, I need to prioritise clients and that's the best way for me to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that is one of the things that I learned from you is always quality over quantity. You see so many coaches that are hundreds of clients and you're like, that's not what we do yeah and that's and that's fine you know if people want to do that that's obviously absolutely fine but my like my worst nightmare this has happened to me once and I never did it again this was years ago that I had started two clients at the same time and I thought well I can't I don't remember this client's background and immediately I was like like that's not okay and that's my worst fear is for someone to 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 not know someone properly and I think that's what like, that's the, the main thing for us with the work that we do. Like, none of us can let that slip. And like like you said, we've got that shared value. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. How do you and I totally change this quick topic, <laughs> and I like it. How do you and Anna feel about the new soaring fruit and veg flavors? In case you haven't seen, they have new, <laughs> two new flavors: orange and carrot and berry and beetroot. Have you seen these? yeah I had three clients message them because they know I love Serena (laughs) um I have yet to try them and I'm just slightly concerned that they're gonna let me down so I've been putting it off Mm. I have nothing against on the whole I just generally don't like vegetables in my cakes or sweet things (laughs) so 
<laughs> I just don't know if I'm going to do it or not. Are they the giant wolves or the mini wolves? Mini, I think. I'm huge. I've, I've definitely them. seen mini. I don't know if you can get them in giant ones. I've not tried them, but I think orange and carrot sounds kind of like carrot cake. That could be quite nice. Uh, to be fair, I only saw the beetroot one and I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm not down for that. Yeah, nitrates though. Good for your blood pressure. <laughs> I bet it's like 0.1 percent beetroot. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we're useless because none of us have actually tried them. Should have saved that question. We'll feedback. Yeah. Uh, d- yeah. That that will be my my aim for the week. I will hunt down a serene and feedback next <laughs> next time. That's your non-negotiable. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> I will do it for serene <laughs> and the podcast. Um. So. If I know that my wind down routine is very important for having a great refreshing sleep, should I prioritize it over sleep hours? Uh, What I mean by that is if I discover that it's already quite late and I should be already sleeping, should I skip the winding down part or should I skip the 30 to 60 minutes of extra sleep quantity over uh, quantity over quality kind of question? Oh, that's a great question. I'm just taking over in my brain. Um, I wouldn't sacrifice an hour of sleep for an evening routine. I would sacrifice 15 minutes of sleep for a bit of an evening routine. And I think that's kind of how you have to look at it. Um, I would just condense it. And I know that like it might have a slight knock on effect on quality, but try not to go into it thinking I'm going to have a bad sleep because I've not done the full amount because that will have an impact on the sleep quality. I would... Um, I would say like 15 minutes, cut it short, 15 minutes, sacrifice that. But I wouldn't sacrifice any more than that. But yeah. that's, that's personal, I guess. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd be exactly the same and just cut it down. And maybe if meditation is part, then look at the yoga nidra because that's meant to help REM sleep, isn't it? So yeah. that, would be, that would be my yeah go-to also. Two points on that, actually. Two points. One point, two podcasts. Um, there are two podcasts that I've recommended to some of my clients in the last few weeks for sleep that are, are really good, that I love. Obviously, I use Unplug app and Unplug Meditation app, but um, on Spotify, Mindful in Minutes podcast, I'm really enjoying it at the moment. It does a lot of sleep ones. It does a really good yoga nidra for sleep. It does other yoga nidra as well, but it does other topics. And it's she's got a beautiful voice, um, really nice meditation voice. So the Mindful in Minutes podcast, and then there's a sleep podcast called Grounded Sleep Podcast. And some of them are sleep stories, but again, he's got, I can't remember his name, but he's got some quite good sleep meditations on there. He also has a couple of meditations from... Jamie Wozney, who does some stuff on Unplug, like she does a few guest ones on his and they're also really good. So if you're somebody who doesn't use an app, but you have Spotify, but you want to try some meditations, I recommend both of those apps. They're recent discoveries of mine, but they're good. Not sleep related at all, but have you seen that Glennon Doyle is now doing a podcast? Yes, I did. I was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> That's going to be all. I think the first few will be very much like all the po- like the guests podcast that she's done I think similar to Brene Brown's like obviously I love Brene Brown's but like you can't you can't binge listen to Brene Brown podcast because it's just kind of like sometimes it can feel really repetitive even though it's not and she goes into the nuance of things like she could talk about vulnerability for 100 hours and still go into the the granularity of vulnerability alone but if you're just binge listening to it it can feel like quite a lot of the the same tone yeah yeah that'll be awesome i just love glennon's <laughs> made up she is great isn't she if anyone again doesn't know we're talking about we're talking about glennon doyle whose book untamed is phenomenal i read where's the other one i've got another one one of her other ones love warrior which is also great but that's older um but yeah if you've never read untamed then yeah we both recommend it so strongly and she's doing an untamed journal I'm like selling her stuff now, but oh, oh, is it just filled with quotes about how not to how to do hard things? It's yeah, it's kind of she said this is this is the journal that's going to help you untame yourself. My Ooh. book was about me untaming me, and this is how you do you. Oh, 
yes sign me up please hold for that do you know actually one of my clients um we were talk. I said to her one day she was going through a lot of things and I was I said you know you can do hard things and in the like a few weeks after it she was like I just keep coming back to you can do hard things you can do hard things and it's helped her to just work through everything because she's like I can do it I think I can do it and it's funny isn't it like obviously that's not my those are not my words but it's funny how just something so small that you can pick up from a book or something like that can be so transformative in how you change your habits and your behaviors or how much you trust yourself to do things yeah well I think it was last week I said to you what you say when you're feeling overwhelmed with the amount of stuff is that you get it done and that's literally the last two three weeks is all I've been telling myself (laughs) it will all get done it'll be fine (laughs) it will it will oh can someone tell me that please that'd be great um no mine's not mine's not actual workload mine's just I feel like (laughs) got about 100 kilos on my back (laughs) um okay next question it is my question isn't it yes okay is weight gain a temporary means to an end for hypothalamic amenorrhea um, I've probably I've avoided bringing this up now for a while as it's probably more a reflection of my own insecurities than anything but I'm growing tired of the quote-unquote perfect HA journeys I'm seeing on social media I feel like there's no such thing and that the public documentation of HA is a very contentious thing that actually puts pressure on a person to show themselves as having come out the other side i.e losing all their HA weight and assuming a quote-unquote normal appetite I feel horrible for thinking this way, but it just makes me feel like a failure for A, comparing myself and my journey to someone else's, um, B, for caring so much, and C, for still being so faced about weight. I actually feel like I know the answer, but is HA weight really a temporary gain for health? It really doesn't feel that way as someone who struggled to shift the weight and almost seep back into HA for trying. And she said, if I sound like a total ass, please be honest, and maybe don't think <laughs> this. <laughs> it's a great question you definitely yeah. don't sound like an ass and just for to know as I, as I was reading that question I could see Anna out the corner of my eye like nodding her head so it's definitely not a stupid question um, not at all I actually saw um something on Instagram the other day that was oh, let me get it right weight restored does not equal recovered and I think that's something whatever you're struggling with, whether it is HA, whether it is disordered eating, like like it says, just because you're at a healthy weight, it doesn't mean that you're, you're gonna be recovered. You might still have things that need to be worked through mentally and that in the long term is gonna equal recovery. Mm. Yeah, and I think the problem is, and 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 this is something that we've experienced with myself and this client together, is that she had lost a lot of weight on a fat loss program beforehand, and that's where the HA came from. And she really had to put in a lot of work, obviously, to regain her period. But then what happened is she was weight restored for a certain amount of time. And then we thought, okay, we can we can work on bringing some of that body fat down, not nothing extreme but just bringing it back down a bit a little bit and after a little while not even not long her period then cut off again and and I can imagine so I suppose from a personal point of view I've I've never tried to really lose weight again so I had HA when I when I was a lot younger when I was just underweight I didn't know what it was and then and I and then I got it sporadically with competing but I never tried to then lose the weight again to kind of know know how quickly it stopped again if that makes sense my personal experience maybe isn't the same um but it does happen for some people that they have to they regain their period and then they try and lose weight and it goes a lot quicker and I think it's just a protection mechanism of your body and she's totally right and you see this with some of the bigger people who talk about I say bigger I mean like bigger names um people who talk about HA or restoring their hunger cues or whatever it is the all-in method that type of stuff it's always about I'm going to get to this point and then I'm going to settle down into my quote-unquote settling weight and their quote-unquote settling weight always seems to be a much leaner version of where they got to to get their period back or to restore their hunger hormones and that's not a negative on them by any means or a criticism of them by any means but 
it can be frustrating I think if you're somebody who's whose period does drop off earlier and actually maybe you can't get to that like leaner point without your period being disturbed or what other ailments you're you're managing with with weight regain um so I guess like in terms of like is it a temp is weight gain a temporary means to an end I don't think it's always temp I don't think it's always temporary I really don't and and, and I don't and I think that you can lose weight again to some degree even when you've got when you've got your period back and and maintain it usually um but it is it it I, I can see why it's frustrating and I don't think you should feel bad for caring about this because you've picked on picked up on something that actually nobody talks about and I think that's really really important that ultimately what happens in the, these situations people still glorify being leaner again at the end of it and that's not helpful particularly at all like in in any type of diet culture mm. Is it my one? Yeah. yeah I, was like, <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just like still processing it. <laughs> um, ah, so how do you shift your focus on yourself and others away from aesthetics and more towards things like kindness and personality? Good question. Um, no, I just tried to plug my laptop in and it gets to like <laughs> 10 centimetres away from my laptop. That's okay. Um, how do you shift the focus away? I think some of the answers in that question in that it's less about shifting the focus away and more about shifting focus on, focus on to something new. So it's less about actively trying to think about that stuff less and more about actively trying to think about the other, the important stuff more. So like a really simple thing could be like, calling yourself out like so if you're about to make a comment on the way someone looks regardless of whether it's nice or not ask yourself like is this is this to do with their body or is this to do with their personality yeah I mean say someone's got a nice dress like you can say someone looks great like but just think about the things that are coming into your head be mindful of the things that are coming into your head and before you vocalize anything to someone or about someone ask yourself like is this helpful to what I'm trying to do right now or, or is, is this a hindrance like I had this thought earlier and I was because I was just feeling really emotional and I wanted to vent something to my friend and then I went to vent it and I thought is this going to make me feel better or worse is this necessary to make me feel a certain way and I was like that's not going to help anyone in this situation and so I just didn't send it and you have to be accountable to yourself um I think that's the first thing think about think about like what it is like you could do something like actually now before you're even around people write like a list of all the things you value and the people that you know so it might be like I would be like I value Anna's lols and self-deprecation and like whatever it is like that makes me like that she makes me laugh I value that my best friend listens to me cry when I, there's actually nothing wrong I'm just being emotional <laughs> and she's just pandering to me I value that you know like make a list of all of these things and start to get comfortable with complimenting these things in other people um like we don't often say to someone we'll we'll say to someone so easily oh you look amazing but like we don't often say to someone thanks so much for making me laugh today like I really did that yeah. and it's just that shift of act actively putting the effort in there I think is really important and then of course like there's all the base basic things <laughs> jeez um basic things of like what are you surrounding yourself with what's your social media if your social media is literally talking about bodies all the time then that's where your focus is going to be are you reading stuff that's all about your body and the way that you look or are you reading stuff about self-love like or are you even reading at all that's a really good place to start like rather than scrolling at night why don't you say right I'm going to start reading a book about self-awareness or about kindness or about compassion and it's just about making those consistent active choices and also recognizing that this is the way we've, we've been brought up we've been brought up to literally talk about each other's bodies all the time and to think about our own bodies all the time and this is the message that we get every single day so it's not like you're at fault here it's just about right how can I change that mm. 
yeah i think the the list of what you value in friends and family that's something that some of my clients do like you said just to shift the focus away from aesthetics and also to help them realize that like do it in reverse and what you think they might value in you um and again it's the fact that body and shape and weight doesn't even come into it mm. and you can do it historically too something i do with some of my clients is i was t- talking to one of them recently about this was she said i just know that people liked me more when i was leaner and the the actual objective difference in leanness is not huge here at all so objectively that's not there but it was like you think that they valued you because you've got this association in your head that you think that you were leaner and that's why they valued you but what else was going on for you at that time like could it be that they actually valued x y and z rather than that and actually make again make a historical list for yourself because like I could say the same I could say I had a boyfriend for two or three years when I was leaner that wasn't because I was leaner if anything it was in spite of the fact that I was leaner because um I know subjectively that if I have that conversation with that same person, I know that they prefer my body as it is now. But if I wanted to believe that it was because I was leaner, I could absolutely make that association and say, well, I was leaner all that whole time and I had a long-term relationship, whether or not that was, well, I wasn't happier than I am now. That's besides the point. Um, but you can, it's so easy to make these associations in your head based on like your own history because it fits the narrative that you want it to fit, i.e., oh, it was because my body was different or it's because I was younger or whatever it is when really it was absolutely nothing to do with any of those things and it was just because you were a lost person or whatever it was. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Any help on indecisiveness? (laughs) (laughs) Come to the wrong place. um whether that's food or decisions about when to arrange to meet people or what job to take like or the simple things the worry about making the wrong decision and the pressure of making the best or the perfect decision and then how to avoid beating yourself up about it when things don't go as planned or desired off the back of a decision what a great question hello friend (laughs) (laughs) um Personally, for me, my indecisiveness, as I've learned from therapy, comes from people pleasing and wanting to keep everybody happy and not looking after or not thinking about me. So with friends, tell them the time that you want to meet up with food. Like my biggest problem is trying to pick a restaurant or pick a takeaway because I don't want other people to be upset what do you want deep down and if other people aren't happy with it chances are they're still going to find something that they'll enjoy do you think that comes down to self-worth yeah 100 percent. in the sense that if you if your self-worth is low then you value other people's things and needs before your own so you feel indecisive because that's what matters more than what you want yeah and then if something if they're not happy then it goes back to not feeling good enough Mm. I've done something wrong therefore I'm not good enough and the cycle continues yeah so it is similar to what we spoke about with the perfectionist kind of mindset doing something that's going to break that cycle and actually do something for you that's going to make you feel good Mm. yeah that's interesting and I think that's the thing I think working on whether that core belief is that you're not enough, whether that core belief is that perfectionism usually comes from not from a low self-worth because you think if you get everything perfect, what is with my word choice today? Um, If you think that if you get everything perfect, that it will somehow make you feel enough because you've done everything right. So it will improve your sense of self-worth. But of course, perfection doesn't exist. And so what happens is you consistently don't feel good enough. And like Anna said, it makes you fall back into the cycle. So I think it's less about how to improve your decisiveness and more about how you work on the underlying reasoning behind that. Um, And like Anna said, thinking like, what's actually important to me? What do I want? And I think as well, like thinking about like the worry about making the wrong decision. What happened? 
if people make the wrong decision all the time that it can be the all, best thing you do well exactly you know you might make the wrong decision on your food so what you don't enjoy your food that night like it's not the end of the world it was one night and you still had a good time um but like you said it could be like you make the wrong decision and you pick the wrong man and actually the wrong man turns out to be the best man in the world I mean that's not going to happen but like as an example as an example like you need to kind of I think take a step back and think about what like what are your reasons for feeling that way I also think sometimes it's procrastination and one of my other clients if she listens to this she'll be laughing because she's the biggest procrastinator in the world with everything even though she's excellent at so many things because and often procrastination comes from a fear of succeeding and so this might not be so small as like food decisions but it might be something bigger it's like you put off making a decision so you let yourself feel indecisive about it because you're scared of the succeeding with the outcome and that could repair that could be related to self-worth because what happens if you actually succeed it could be related to just the fear of success like what does that mean to you how does that change the way that you live your life and that's on a much grander scale 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 of you know do I get pizza or Indian tonight you know like that's obviously a much bigger scale of decision making but it's really about I think digging into why but you're you're absolutely right I think a, a lot of it is the comes down to the core belief mm. stuff of course as it always does always <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I work in a gym and it is unfortunately riddled with diet diet culture my colleagues are amazing and I love them all but they are very fat phobic in their language and everything comes down to aesthetics I find this really uncomfortable and frustrating to be around I really hate confrontation and the thought of calling them out makes me feel anxious. I also don't think that they're actually aware of how damaging some of the stuff they say is. I've even had my body compared to another colleague's body with mine being deemed more PT-like. I am very new in the industry and the comments like this make me so uncomfortable because they have no idea of my personal struggles. And it reinforces the idea that in order to be a PT, or a successful woman, you have to look a certain way. Um, I guess my question is, how do I keep focused on my general health, getting my period back and accepting that healing my relationship with food might mean gaining fat and not fitting into this mold? Ooh, that's tough. Good question. Um, that's a really tough situation to be in. And it's not a, you're certainly not alone in that situation by any stretch. And I think a lot of people can probably relate to that. Well, I think when it comes, there's a couple of things in there. The first thing is setting your boundaries at work. Um, I know if you're new in that job, you are trying to keep everyone happy and you don't want to come across in a certain way. However, being in that environment is this now is a good time to say what's okay to talk about with you and what's not. And actually I did an Instagram post on this day about setting boundaries because they're hard to set. But a way that you can set boundaries is to say like, it's okay that you want to do this, but it's not okay that you want to do this. So example in this situation would be like, it's okay if you, it's okay if you want to judge people's bodies, but it's not okay for you to judge people's bodies with me. A kind of really simple example. Or it's okay if you value the way that somebody looks, but I don't. So it's not okay for you to assume that I will have these discussions with you. There are lots of ways, but it's like, I'm like, it's okay for you to do this, but it's not okay. And then you put your boundary in there. And like that's something that I really recommend that you do. And I've had these discussions like I used to work in a gym and like with, uh, with other people. And it's like, it's totally okay if you subscribe to diet culture. I'm not here to change your mind, but I don't. So it's just not okay to talk about, to talk about the way that my body is. And, and, that, and that's not saying that anyone's doing anything wrong. You're saying like, legit, do what you want. But this is where I'm at. And it's a good way of framing it so that you're not, you don't feel uncomfortable and you don't feel like you're insulting someone. You're probably still going to feel a little uncomfortable because boundary setting is really uncomfortable and it's very vulnerable and it's, 
asserting your voice and it's doing the thing that we've just been talking about and it's saying I'm putting myself above your comfort and that is a horrible thing to do especially as a woman to say I value myself more than I value your opinion about this that's horrible but that's the, one of the most important things you can do in the situation so that you don't actually have to have these conversations in the first place. Mm. It, yeah, it's, it, it's a tough environment. Like you said, when, when you're first starting out, you are wanting to keep everybody happy, wanting to keep the peace. But, and I think you'll agree with this in that we're quite new to working with each other. And I think with the work that we do, she'll begin to feel more confident in able to have these conversations and feel more confident in her body as we work to regain her cycle anyway. And it will become less of a focus full stop. Mm. Yeah. And I think as well, like over time, you might find actually that you feel more comfortable to have the discussion with people and say like, this is why this type of conversation is problematic you know and actually have a discussion or to challenge someone and I know again like when I used to compete and I was a lecturer right when I first started in that lecturing job I would never have said you know people used to comment on my body all the time and I would never have said stop commenting on my body to anyone because I just I didn't want to be that person but by the end of the time like that when I quit I was very clear and it was like well when a man a guy said to me who I loved by the way who was just an older guy in, in the in the workplace he said you know men don't find that attractive and I loved him he wasn't trying to be horrible and it, by that point it was like well I don't I don't do this for men and I don't do this for you and it, my, your opinion on my body doesn't matter and it's like that he was like okay fair you know and and but when I first started I would never have done that and I think I think being able to talk about yourself and be vulnerable with yourself you don't have to do that but actually saying like well I do this because x y and z and this is why it's important to me people are often open to listening and having those discussions if they're not that's fine and you don't have to do it but the more I think the more confident you feel in your journey and the reasons why you're doing something and the more confident you feel in yourself the more able you feel to have these discussions with people and say it's not about who's right or wrong it's just this is where I'm at and this is what's important and this is why I think that equating someone's worth to their body is problematic for example but in fitness and in gyms of course diet culture is rife so it's it's often on inescapable um so from putting a lot of time into myself in the last year a lot of self-reflecting and journaling i've discovered that there is a clear pattern that my period really affects me both mentally and physically. I'm currently in the week before my period and I literally feel like I'm losing my mind. <laughs> eating, ring, eating rings around myself, feeling quite low for no apparent reason and my just, digestive system is completely off. It's always just the week before it's due. Is this something that you think can be managed? I'm due to get bloods done next week, so hoping that they might tell me something, any tips or advice. Mm. So bloods, will, bloods may show something they may not. Like with PMS, sometimes you can just have severe PMS or potentially um, PMDD, which is like a more very severe form of PMS, which that tends to be more like you get very low mood, like you get like symptoms of clinical depression for a week, basically, which is really heavy. Um, so it can be managed to some degree awareness is really important and acceptance is really important and I think we spoke about this last week where I had I had such bad PMS last week that I laughed at myself because I was just so cliche I was laughing because I was I was really emotional again there's nothing wrong when I say I'm emotional like it's like there is nothing wrong it's just like when you get into that state I was really emotional and I had ordered a Domino's on a Wednesday and I was under my duvet at 4 p.m whilst I'd been working on the sofa all afternoon and I, my skin was a mess and I just was like so raging for no reason I was raging and I was like then I just started laughing because I was like this is I could not be more on point with my hormones if I tried and I'm, and I think accepting and being like this is like this is okay I feel horrific but it's okay because I know it's going to pass in three to five days I think that's genuinely the best thing you can possibly do um I would also say 
like you can do things like do you know i listened to a podcast recently with i think it was i think it was jamila jamil's podcast with ashling b and they were talking about this. <laughs> she's so funny isn't she but i was laughing because it was oh so over dramatized she'd read this book about periods and i spoke to you about this actually and it was like you know you shouldn't do any big work events in your luteal phase <laughs> down for that <laughs> yeah yeah a whole week off every month um and then in your follicular phase like you should plan like your more um, analytical work and your like or your creative work or i can't remember because it was quite obscene but you can certainly you can certainly work with it you know you can do things like right that week i'm i'm going to just be really mindful of the fact that my mood might be low so I'm going to plan these things in or alternatively plan nothing in because when I feel low I just want to cry and that's okay Uh, you can say right I'm just going to take that week off training for example use that time to sleep a little bit more um you could think right well if my nutrition is going to if I know I'm going to really want chocolate me am I going to just say right I'm going to make sure I've got my favorite chocolate and I'm going to allow it and I've got all these like it's there or am I going to say I'm going to make an extra focus on um, making sure my fridge is stocked with tons of fruits and vegetables so that it's a lot easier for me to snack on like fruit than it is for me to snack on share bars of chocolate that's something that I may implement next month who knows we'll see um but you can really go right this is my body and this is my body functioning and I'm not going to patronize you and say that it's not utter health but let's figure out how we can really take advantage of this and and really work with it and then in that week just be like I've planned for this I know this is going to happen I'm just going to embrace it and laugh at how cliche I am and just let it ride over me. I think I think sometimes we've just been able to laugh at it. It's helpful, even though at the time you really don't want to laugh at it and it's sore and it's uncomfortable and all of these things. Um, the other thing is, like there is a supplement called Vitex um, that has some evidence in regards to PMS symptoms and reducing PMS symptoms. And the dosage is 400 milligrams per day. You need to be careful because a lot of like the supplements like that that you buy from like health food stores the dose is like five milligrams and it's like no that's not yeah they're really low for some reason um but you can buy vitex that is 400 milligrams per day and that's a daily thing you don't just take it when you've got pms and take it daily and there is some evidence behind that so it's not got a huge evidence base it's not me saying everyone should take it but when i suffered really bad with pms before for like a year I found it beneficial, I think. But again, you can't really necessarily say, well, just because it worked for me, there is some evidence for it. Mm. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people get on really well with that. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to add. I think it is kind of a case of working with your body. If you know that that's how you're going to feel, do things that you can to help you get through the week. <laughs> Yeah, it's like you know, if I'm Mercury's in retrograde, you're like, nope, don't speak to me. <laughs> yeah, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> Return in a week or so, we'll see. <laughs> um, importance of reverse dieting and possibly reversing before cutting. I've always wanted to reverse it that when I cut my calories, they're already so high that I don't feel like I'm on a cut but I don't know how to get comfortable in my skin and accept that I'm not trying to lose weight for once. Do you want to start on this one? Yes, in that. So, I mean, do how would you, would you say that we reverse? Because I'd just bring them straight back up to maintenance if they are, if they have dieted. Mm, uh, that like that's technically reverse dieting is coming back up to make their new maintenance yeah you see some people that are like oh, i'm going to increase them by 100 calories this week and that, no yeah that's <laughs> so much like that's so misinformed that like, people think that reverse dieting means bringing your calories up by like what you said yeah. it's not it's bringing your calories up to new maintenance and then bringing them up from there yeah absolutely and you think about all the health benefits you'll get from doing that mm. and I think p- perhaps this question kind of shows your experience from experiencing from dieting in the past um, in that perhaps it hasn't been the most positive experience. Um, and obviously we're working on her relationship with food at the moment. So again, that's possibly coming down to 
dieting in the past. Um, I think you're, one thing to remember is that if you are going to diet, you're just going to have to eat what you need to eat. It's not a case of bringing them up so high that you can eat more when you're dieting. You're going to have to have your calories. If you're working at maintenance, calories need to be there. And if you're going to diet, depends how long or how short you're dieting for as to the, the amount you're in a deficit. Mm. Totally that. I think there's such a, I think there's a misconception and it comes from people who like fat loss transformation coach who coaches who sell the story of, well, we got this person up to this many calories and then they dieted on this as a, as a means to sell. But ultimately your maintenance depends on your body weight and the majority of your maintenance depends on your body weight. So um, yes, if you gain more weight when you're not dieting, you your metabolic rate will be higher therefore when you diet you probably won't drop you won't have to go to as many calories initially because you're heavier but as soon as you get get back to down to your old body weight then your 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 basal metabolic rate will be in line with that new weight like your same old weight so it doesn't make a difference like so your, your metabolic rate depends on your bmr it depends on slightly on the thermic effect of food which you don't really need to worry about at all um, it depends on your exercise activity thermogenesis your eat and your um non-exercise activity thermogenesis your neat so if you are if you are in a heavier body you your steps are slightly lower than they would be when you're dieting you are eating well your basal metabolic rate will be at a certain point right but as you diet your body weight drops your neat levels so your physical activity might go up you might be like i'm going to increase my steps for example but your natural neat levels so you're fidgeting you're kind of moving around when you talk those things naturally reduce over time you naturally when you diet for a long time will take um, the lift over the stairs these types of things you don't even realize that you're doing these subconscious things are the things that result in your expenditure going down as you diet without you saying i'm doing anything differently and so also what happens is we've spoken about this before is you become more efficient so you burn less calories in your day-to-day life because your body gets more efficient at for example running so the more times you run it gets more efficient and it uses fewer calories and that's why over time with dieting your your metabolism so to speak or your base your energy requirements reduce slightly but what to you don't reverse diet to a point where none of that stuff matters anymore so when the longer you quote unquote reverse diet or build up your calories what's happening is the opposite your body weight's going up your neat levels are going up your hunger levels will slightly go down your efficiency efficiency will slightly go down because your cardio will come down and your activity levels will slightly come down and you're like when you're not dieting and so your your energy requirements um for your like your BMR goes up slightly because you're heavier you become less efficient so you're using more calories for day-to-day stuff um and so yeah you might consume more calories at that point but as soon as you start dying again that just goes back to the way it was so you're never really going to be able to change your maintenance calories people I think think that you go from like well I was maintaining at 1700 calories and now I'm maintaining at two and a half thousand calories that's not actually probably what's happened what's probably happened was at 1700 calories you weren't eating 1700 calories you were eating more but you didn't realize maybe you were having weekends off maybe you were just having bites because you were hungry etc um and what's also happened is that you've gained body fat and body muscle potentially just body weight and so yes you are eating more but it's not like it's a couple of hundred like a couple of hundred calories very max of metabolic adaptation like very max so it's not like i think people really overestimate like they just think if they keep slowly increasing their calories over time that they'll slowly just be able to keep eating more and more and more to the point where they're like eating five thousand calories and maintaining it's like it doesn't work like that unfortunately no unfortunately not (laughs) do you know when i did my first so when i had a coach the the first time i competed i had a coach and we did a full off season for like a year before i competed at all 
and every day I was eating I was tracking at the time and I was eating three and a half thousand calories every day and then I remember being like some weeks and he would I would weigh myself and I was like I've not gained any weight and it'd be like a month and I'd be like I'm eating three and a half thousand calories every day and I've not gained any weight but then overnight I'd wake up on like the next week and it would be like five kilos gained I'm like oh, <laughs> there it is but that, that I was that's what I was thinking when you were talking then is that the I mean I don't know if you find when um clients that are dieting when they have a diet break and then after however long they've had their break they're shocked that they've still managed to lose weight and you're like it's because you've got more energy that you're moving about more and doing things that you don't even notice mm, absolutely that and it does and and I am and I have this a bit of a debate about this not like we don't disagree but like I give refeeds and diet breaks a lot more often than she does to her clients because I'm like it, they improve adherence as well like they often often diet breaks can just just saying right we're going to bring our calories up it's not even about the physiological benefits it's just that you become more adherent it's not a conscious thing you just change your food sources and you're like oh like you just get much more on track but you do like it's it does it has a slight impact on your hunger levels but then the main thing is like you just restore your muscle glycogen and so like you said you just you can train better you if you have more energy like yeah I love a good diet it's just like a mental reset as much as anything isn't it yeah absolutely um what are what are you lovely ladies most proud of to see from a client what equals success to you oh great question well I did a podcast yesterday with um Joe head first podcast highly recommend um and one of the things I was talking about on there was this is not the most thing I think I think in general it's just someone who has who reaches their goals whatever those goals are but I said on that podcast how it amazes me when I'm working with women in their 20s and my age any age really actually and they have the realization that maybe they've dieted for a long time and then they have the realization that they're dieting for everyone else and not for themselves and they go then that light bulb moment clicks and they go oh I've just realized that I keep failing on my diet because I don't want it and actually I want to be health like you can be obviously diet when you're healthy and diet but they say like they just have the realization that they're dieting for other people and they go oh actually I, there's no reason why leaner is more attractive and I think that's the thing and I think for me when someone goes when someone has the moment where they go like leaner is not more attractive for me and it's not me saying that there's any right way or wrong way to do that I don't need to be leaner to to feel happier I'm like oh this is amazing and this is not to say like that being said like for me somebody who maybe is in a larger body and drops body fat and gets improved health markers or falls into the quote-unquote healthy BMI range take from that BMI scale what you want right for me when someone's health improves like that from fat loss like that's equally as good as a win for me as somebody who realizes they don't need to drop body fat to be accepted like I suppose it's just dependent on the, the person's goals right yeah absolutely what's yours but- similar to you I think in that just having a client kind of find themselves and become so comfortable in themselves that they're like you said they're doing things for them Mm. not for the approval of anybody else and (laughs) like living a living a life an authentic and fulfilled life yeah and that can come with fat loss too also of course we're not yeah absolutely just whatever someone really wants and I think the thing is like people can come to us with goals and they say this is what I want but only really through working together I think do people realize well this is actually what I want I thought that's what I wanted but this is not what I want and it's like the initial switch of being like this is actually what I really want and then it's like the, the point where you go now I've got what I actually genuinely want and like you said it's just to hear people fulfilled Hmm. is like everything everything and sometimes I just think I think this about you all the time I'm like I wish I was more like Hannah when I was 
in my twenties. Like you know, and I sometimes and I and I do love that. But then I also I also love when I'm working with mums and yeah, they 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 see wins with their kids' relationship with food, and that that's one of my favorite things ever. Yeah, I've had a couple of those, and they well, I mean, I cry a lot anyway at check-ins, but those really were like, oh my gosh, that is wonderful. Yeah. And yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just a great job that we have, and <laughs> feels weird that I can call it a job when it's yeah. I know. Isn't it funny when you, because you think back, I'm like, oh, probably the update that I did this morning was a big win. Or was it yesterday? And then it's nice. It's nice to be able to think like that. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do, let's do one more question, I think. Um, tips on journaling. I want to start, but not really sure how to or what to do. Hmm. Do you want to start on this one? Yes. There is no right or wrong way to do it. It's just like anything else, getting started um, and finding what works for you, mm. whether it's prompts, um, whether it's just word from on a page, just dedicate some time to and see what you come out with. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like the, the whole, it's not there to be perfect. Like no one's ever going to see it. You don't ever have to look at it again. It doesn't have to look like anything. It can look like a drawing if you want, if that's a drawing that is reflective of what's going on in your brain right now. I'm dread to think what my drawing would be. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it can be literally anything. And I think remembering that no one's ever going to see it is, is really helpful. Um, like, I think sometimes people find it easy to start off with like gratitude or body appreciations or affirmations or intentions or something that's quite clear and structured and sometimes that can be a nice place to start actually I was speaking to um I was on a podcast recently and we were talking about um it was Ed's podcast I need to read podcast and he was talking about journaling he said oh I remember when I used to start when I started journaling he said I've basically just lied to myself because I wanted to have a nice journal to look back on so like, <laughs> today I had a great day and, da, da, da. and he said and then I would finish it off and I'd be like that was a great day but he's like, it's not reflective of anything that I was thinking but I just had this idea that that's how it should be and he said and even now sometimes he says things like I think I need to say this and then he says oh then I go back and say no I know this and what do I know to be true and it's a space where he he feels he can put that confidence onto paper and I think like you always start off a little bit like that I think just a little bit untrue but things like mm, like you can just you can see like prompts like like what was my main feeling today or what were my five feelings that I had today or what triggered me to feel that way um what were the thoughts I had about that situation? Are those thoughts fact or are those thoughts feeling? Um, what alternatives are there are to this story? Like what story am I telling myself about this? What alternatives are there to this story? So example would be, um, I'm trying to think. Um, so say, I was, was going to say, I could use my example from a few weeks ago that I messaged you about. Yeah, do, do use it. <laughs> um, not at all embarrassing when I saw a red flag in a car park and then had a panic attack. So <laughs> when I saw said red flag, it made me very anxious and want to cry. <laughs> oh, it was a great time. Great time. But this is the thing, right? So that you can write it down. Okay, my overriding feeling was anxious. The trigger for that feeling was this giant red flag. The feeling that I'm having about that was... <laughs> I'm just going to leave that. Like... <laughs> <laughs> Lots of feelings that we keep, we keep for the journal. Um, and then say, like, the story that I'm telling myself is that maybe... So let's flip it on to me if that was me. The story that I'm telling myself is this is not real life. The story I'm telling myself is... Um, I looked really bad today because I didn't have my makeup on and um, I've not washed my hair in five days and um, I'm clearly never going to be good enough to meet a man because, I don't know, of that. Often we tell ourselves stories that are catastrophizing the situation and are very black and white 
And those styles of thinking are really unhelpful. And you can say, what alternatives are to that story? The alternatives to that story is that he also saw Anna and he also had a panic attack because he was like, here's this giant red flag in the car park and I feel overwhelmed by her stunning beauty and her beautiful face. And he's gone away and told his mom how much he loves Anna. Like, these are all things that are alternatives to that story that, that we don't know are not true, but we often tell ourselves this, the, like the, the worst case scenario um about a situation and it exacerbates how we feel so journaling can allow you to like recognize everything name your feelings get it out and get put some distance between yourself and your thoughts but it can also allow you to you won't want to do this all the time but it can also allow you to work through the feelings and like figure out is that just something that's in your head or is that an actual fact because yeah a lot of the time we feel crap about the stuff that we're telling ourselves as opposed to the actual situation like that actual situation was not fun for Anna but like I remember voice noting you being like I think I might need to work through this <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm sure have you worked through it they've been deleted so no no contact at all now so oh, yeah I'm so proud I'm so proud <laughs> and, and, and and that's the thing right it, it's just about it's just about getting it out recognizing it and then do taking action on what you need to do, and and sometimes, sometimes it, the action part can feel really hard if you've not worked through the actual feeling part. Luckily, Anna's body is very intuitive and knew exactly what she was feeling. <laughs> Thanks, panic attack. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> always lets me know. <laughs> Joys, I haven't had a panic attack in like a year. Touch wood. Sweet joy. Well, I yeah, I, I'd not, and then apparently that was one thing that still needed some work so well, well see this is the thing though they just come to us to say just fyi this is the thing <laughs> to work on thanks thanks body um okay thanks everyone for your questions my clients come on now fill yourselves <laughs> together and get me some questions and as always there's any other questions put them on the facebook group also um but those questions were great so thank you and thank you anna thank you Bye-bye. bye bye bye